Hello and welcome back. This is the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, the Soul of Business. What is that? Well, those of you that have been listening for a while have got a fairly good grasp of what that is, but there's a spark in everything that gives it life. And that includes a business. It includes people, obviously, um, but it also includes trees. It includes rocks. It includes all kinds of stuff. It's that spark that animates, that spark that brings into existence whatever it is that we're uh, actually interacting with. Businesses are no exception to that, and we lose connection with that spark at our peril. And I think uh, part of our peril is manifested in what we see in some of the things that we have in the world today, uh, ecologically in particular. So um, we'll get into that riff here in just a bit. Um, but before we get there, I want to just talk a little bit about employee disengagement. Um, yeah, Gallup keeps running this poll over and over and over and over and over again about how engaged people are emotionally to the world that they're doing and consistently over and over and over again, it shows up that about 87% of people around the world are emotionally disengaged from the work that they do. Organizations spend about $40 billion a year trying to fix that and they haven't been able to fix it because they're targeting the wrong things. My guest today is somebody that has got a way of addressing that. He and I are actually kindred spirits in a lot of ways and in more ways than I knew about before we uh, uh, started the conversation uh, prior to uh, coming onto the show here. Um, David Taylor Klaus is an entrepreneur. Um, he's a speaker, he's an author. Uh, he's been uh, associated with Vistage for years and years and years. Um, part of what David does is reintroduce successful entrepreneurs and senior executives to their families. And in our conversation before uh, I began the show here today, uh, we were talking a little bit about his background and uh, coming out of Wharton, uh, there were two tracks and this goes back about a bunch of years. I, I, I won't date him here, but um, you know, one was to go onto Wall Street. The other one is to go into the white collar world and away we go and we'll get to what we want in life after we've made money. And after we've made money, we look up and go, well, what did we want in life? Because we don't seem to have it right now my wallet ends up being fuller than my life. And that's one of the things that David addresses uh, in his work. So I wanna welcome David Taylor Klaus um, to the show. And I think this is gonna be a fascinating conversation. So David, welcome. Thank you, thank you, Blaine. It's great to be here. Well, it's certainly good to have you. Um, you know, every guest that I have, we, we start off with one question and hopefully that opens a door to all kinds of stuff. And that question's pretty simple. Um, when you hear the term, the soul of business, what does that bring up for you? Uh, as you described it in the intro, just the, the phrase left a, a, a just an empty hole in the pit of my stomach. Because I, I sort of flashed back to a stretch where I lost connection with that spark that was the business that my partner and I had, had co-founded. And it was a technology company and we started off loving what we were doing and the purpose of it, the purpose behind it, the reason we were doing it, we were so clear and I lost track. I got distracted by the shoulds. Like mm -hmm. I, I jokingly call it living the should life. It's we should be doing this. We should be doing that. You know, the, the kids in private school, the big house, the cars, the everything. And when I turned the doorknob to the office, my stomach turned because I had lost connection to the soul of the business that she and I had started. 
and and until we until I heard you use that phrase a little while ago, I hadn't really connected that, you know, I've always felt that I lost me. The first step was losing connection with the business because then I yeah. went on autopilot from that should perspective. And that is soul sucking. Yeah, it, it, I, I love that, that, that referencing. Uh, you know, the soul is of anything is always present. And, mm. and to the point about connection, you know, my, uh, one of my earlier books was called Compassionate Capitalism. And uh, I wrote that in part as, a, as, a, as an answer to uh, John Mackey and Raj Sisodia's book uh, on conscious capitalism. Mm -hmm. and, and John and Raj are both very good friends of mine. Um, what I found to be you know, not necessarily lacking, but what I found not addressed as well as I would have liked it in that book, Conscious Capitalism, was what's the behavioral analog to consciousness? It's one thing to be conscious. It's another thing to do something with that consciousness. And that's where the compassionate capitalism conversation started to uh, come into play here. And for me, it's impossible to be compassionate about something I don't feel connected to. Mm. I can be aware of damage being done. I can be aware of you know, whatever may be going on, but I don't feel compassion unless I feel connected. So the idea of losing connection to my soul, losing connection to the soul of business, for me in part, and I'm gonna just you know, kind of throw this out here as a, as yeah. a postulate and see where we go with it. Um, it, takes a, it, in, 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 it takes mindfulness. And I'm gonna use that word very specifically here. We've got some commonality in this thread. Yeah, I playground here. Intentional. I have to be mindful about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And it was interesting here, distracted by the shoulds, um, it, where where attention is focused is where energy goes. Energy follows attention. You know, there's no question about that in my experience. And the shoulds are very prevalent. Um, they they are, and they're seductive. Yeah. Because then you get accolades and rewards for being and doing those things. And yet it's when it's, there's, there lies the distinction between a human being and a human doing, because mm -hmm. when you're doing these things that you should be doing, there's no being, no, nothing of you connected to it, or most likely. And, and that was the piece. It's, losing connection with the soul of business. It's hard to be connected to something, to feel compassionate about it, to feel attached to it when you're not connected to yourself. Yeah. And that's part of it. There's a grounding in self in order to be connected to other. And we tend towards, whether it's acculturation or education or the, the community impact, we tend to over-calibrate towards connection to other and forget that it starts with connection to self. Yeah. You know, I was doing, uh, I, I run a mastermind program every Monday morning um, here on the West Coast. It's a virtual uh, group. We've got people from all over the world in it. And it's organized around this whole notion of leadership mindfulness. You know, mm. just being mindful as a leader. What does that mean? Uh, and part of it's predicated on the way that I define leadership in my work, which is co-creating coordinated movement. You know, that's what leaders do. They co-create coordinated movement. And co-creation is ownership transference and then coordinated movement is the stuff that we actually end up doing to make that dance work. Um, but how do we do that? You know, I have to be intentional. This is where the, you know, the, the, uh, the idea of mindfulness comes into play. Now, as we were talking pre-show, uh, we found uh, a very interesting synchronicity. Uh, <laughs> uh, my last book, 
the leadership mindset uh, weekly. Uh, we uh, it came out as a soft launch in May of this year, May of 2020, and you just dropped a book in September uh, of this year that uh, is called Mindset Mondays: uh, 52 Ways to Rewire Your Thinking and Transform Your Life. Um, now. Your book is about, uh, I think, almost twice as long as my book, uh, but we've got some different intents behind the book. But what I'm fascinated by is that mindfulness is such a big part of what we both have done with this. Where, what caused you, and we had talked about this a little bit, but what, what was the spark? What was the catalyst that you know, created this book in your mind first, such that it was manifested in physical form later? Well, well, there are two pieces to it. There's a concept that I hold. The, the quote, I can't remember. It was I originally learned the quote as coming from Carl Jung. It turns out it's from much older. It's from the Talmud. It's, we do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Yeah. And what I learned from that, and of course you learn best looking backwards at all the things you've done. So as I looked back and connected all the dots, what I realized is that whenever I was able to change the lens through which I saw the world, I changed my experience. And so the one thing I have control over is mindset. And it was through mindfulness that I accessed that control. All right, so that's, that's the, the context and the wrapper for the book itself. But I didn't plan on writing a book. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the, the secret that I very rarely share is that when I started this process, I had sat with my marketing person and said, I want to become more facile at speaking to any topic through the lens of my point of view and doing it off the cuff. So all of my business cards have an, a quote on the back. I have different quotes on it. Yep. So my marketing person said, why don't you just flip on Facebook Live pick up one of the cards and wax poetic for 10, 15 minutes about it. So, yep. Great. So I, you know, granted, I, I got through the nerves and there are plenty of stories about that piece and how the technology didn't work fine. But when I finally <laughs> launched that, the thing, yeah. <laughs> um, it started to gather attention and audience and people were showing up. And this was going to be a year long exercise all for selfish motivation but it started having an impact and I started paying attention to the impact rather than what I wanted out of it. And it shifted yep. dramatically. So in the end, I'm now 140 epi weekly episodes into this thing. So it extended way past the experiment, but at the end of the first year, I had a tremendous amount of learning from my experience around mindset and impact and impact wake. And then there was learning from the community. So I gathered all that up. And that's what I used to, to create the book. It's 52 of those weekly episodes, the learnings derived from it. And I wrapped it in a rewire framework, a framework that allows folk to take the learning from these chapters and take it out in the world and make it real rather than the book becoming shelfware like so many of the books on my shelf, don't look. Um, yeah. This is designed to be something that people actually use. That's, uh, I love that. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, I started laughing when uh, I, you know, the promotional material came across as, as we were putting the show together today. And uh, I was struck by something that I actually shared with my mastermind group th uh, this week, um, that creating a world of abundance isn't about creating a world of material riches. It's about creating a world of possibility, yeah. creating a world of possibility. And yeah, on the surface, and I'm, I'm mentioning this very specifically for, for folks that are listening through a particular mindset lens that has to do with competition. Um, 
Yeah, we could have competing books right now. No, we're not having, these are not competing ideas at all. This, yeah. this is about creating a bigger pie, bigger world of possibility. Yeah, that's what I'm excited. And I, when I saw that, I started laughing. And I thought, <laughs> oh, how rich is this? We get to have a conversation about how this can be bigger. Possibility is about, yeah, expansion. And well, Lynn Twist I love this. Lynn Twist, oh, uh, Soul of Money. I think oh, she's been in TLC as well. Oh, she's one of my best friends. I love Lynn Twist. She came to one of the events for CTI for one of the co-active summits and talked about the lie, you know, the, the myth of scarcity and the lie of abundance and really drove mm -hmm. home the message of sufficiency. And, yes. and what I love about being a coach and I love about the, the coaching footprint, the industry as a whole, there are more people who want coaching and want to shift their lives through coaching than there are trained, certified, talented coaches to deliver it. Yep. It is the most, it is the least competitive, most cooperative environment I've been in, in 30 years as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I look at this as, of course, yours is a 52 weekly, you know, a 52 week program. Of course, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Aligned in content and approach, of course. It's not an accident that you ended up on the show. We can talk not about it. Not at all. There's yeah, more as, than enough for everyone. Oh, as a coach, I mean, you because you, I've been coaching for forty years, you know, round numbers. Um, you know, you've you know, been in the game for you know thirty 12. plus odd years. Yeah, I'm a little yeah. little behind you on the coaching part. A little behind, yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, my hair's a little grayer. Um, but reintroducing successful entrepreneurs and senior executives to their families. From a coaching perspective, um, and I, uh, this has less to do with the howness and more to do with the beingness. How do you be as a coach to make that possibility live with your clients? It, it starts with the first time they hear that phrase, because uh -huh. it, it opens opens their eyes to the level of, of over calibration that they've gotten. You know, how much have they over have they teetered over the line towards, you know eating at the desk more than they do at home. Their spouse hates their job or their company more than they do. You know, understanding viscerally what that imbalance is and realizing that it's something they want to change. The folks that realize the imbalance and are cool with it, not my tribe. Not your tribe. The yep. folks that realize wallets full, hearts empty, right? Most of the folks I get to work with are raising the bottom. They realize that if they keep going on the trajectory, it's just going to keep going down. Mm -hmm. But they're choosing that this is the bottom and they want to shift from here. That's my tribe. It's uh, not about fixing anything as much as it is about taking back an intentional control over or presence in their own life. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. a remarkably different energy to be in. Distraction from the shoulds. Yeah. Distraction from the shoulds. Uh, I'm going to you know, put a little marker in place right now. We're going to be right back after this brief little announcement. Um, but I want to, you know, when we get back, David, I want to you know, talk about, you know, the, the, the notion of being distracted by shoulds and how that is such a seductive mechanism by which we lose connection to what's really important in life. So we'll be right back and talk about that. Well, thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com and on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual 
and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. This is Blaine Bartlett. You're uh, joining me with uh, my guest, David Taylor Klaus. And we are talking about the soul of business. Uh, specifically, before we left for the break, we were talking about how the shoulds in life get in the way of actually maintaining uh, and nurturing a connection to the soul of not only who we are, but the soul of our business. So um, with that as kind of a you know, little segue uh, conversation piece here, you noticed that was going on with you when you touched the doorknob coming into the office and it was kind of like, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore sort of a thing. Uh, and if you could see the video on this, as I was talking about that, David just kind of you know, sh shuddered a little bit. So yeah. there's that, there is that visceral feel that people have that, that is indicative that we are disconnected from a life force. So when you started noticing that, you know, and you got, you, know, you lost track, you lost connection. Um, what happened? Well, um, more cautionary tale than model, right? Um, I waited a very long time to do anything about it. I got to the point where I went through the spiral. Yep. Um, I got to the point around Hurricane Katrina weekend. This is that far back. Um, that I had gotten to the point where the only thing I was sure of at that point is the five most ideal ways to kill myself. Mm -hmm. I had, I did not attend to it when I, when I figured out I was off track. I, I should it even more at that point. Well, this is mm -hmm. how you fix it. And this is the next reinvention and that's the next reinvention. And the one thing I didn't do was what I needed to do, which was sit still. I tried to fill the empty space with activity and it became frenetic and that didn't work. The, the shift for me was I had learned, I'm a Hemingway fan and I had learned that children of parents who commit suicide are 50 times more likely to attempt suicide. That's not the legacy I wanted for my kids. Yeah. So that was the hell yes, that I wanted to be a model for them, not mm -hmm. a cautionary tale or a legacy of suicide. So that allowed me to start saying no to the things that didn't match and didn't fit. I had to have something clear enough. Um, then obviously asked for and received a ton of help. Um, Short story, through the therapy and the coaching, I found coaching as an outlet for me as well as a resource for me. Mm -hmm. But the key piece is I kept looking at all these, <clears throat> 
I think what you see now is a better example. What you see now on the internet is the, the catnip of the internet is the seven steps to seven figures, the secret formula to blah, blah, oh my God. It's soul crushingly empty. All those things do are two things. They, they, they're they successful at separating you from your money and delaying your dreams because mm-hmm. you're not the person who used that those steps in the first place. The market is not the same. The time is not the same. Nothing is the same. So that's why I think these seven step formulas and that's crazy talk. Because what happens is you end up taking someone else's plan or structure and mapping it over your world and not adapting it based on who you are, what your soul is about, what your audience is is interested in, you don't adapt it at all. So you end up wrapping yourself in a ginormous bundle of should and you should all over everything. It's ridiculous. And that I see that happening all the time. Yeah. Here are the seven steps if, and you should follow each of these in sequence. And it, just it, like this. Just, you know, it's, um, it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's religion writ large in one sense here. Here, here's the way the Buddha did it, so you have to do it this way. Here's the way that Christ did it. You need to do it this way because Just that's like the this. way that the master did it. Mm-hmm. And it has absolutely no application to my life today because uh, I'm a unique individual with unique circumstances. My business is unique. It is going through a unique experience in and of its own, you know, own self. So I, I, and the people what I'm, I'm serving by, are going through their unique experience right exactly. now as well. Yeah, the customers want something different. I mean, your customers are different than my customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of that. And if the purpose of business is to uplift the experience of being alive on this planet, I'm going to do that differently than you will. Because again, I've got a different product and service. To uplift the experience of people on this planet. The purpose of business is not to make money. Milton Friedman got it wrong. Purpose of business is to uplift the experience of being alive on this planet. And not just for human beings, uplift the experience of being alive on this planet for anything that businesses activities touch. So this is the distinction you're speaking to that that I think brilliantly that that speaks to brilliantly is so many of us walk this planet wanting from others, right? Wanting from society, wanting from individuals you can feel it when somebody is sitting opposite you and they want something from you. Yep. We're familiar with that. We get it all day long. <laughs> You're speaking to the wanting for, mm-hmm. right? It's you, for some reason, we seem to have frozen our understanding of Maslow at the first five levels of hierarchy. What he did in the last three years of his life was the transcendence piece, which was above self-actualization, which is moving from the inherent wanting for wanting from to a wanting for to bettering those around you, even to a global level. And that, that's the piece that is so sexy and enticing to work with now, because it's helping yeah. bring that to the surface for others. That wanting for is the real driver. So it I'm is. glad you and brought I mean, that up. It, it, and as a business, quote, I mean, to give business a persona, as a business, um, if I'm doing that well, I'm by definition, I will be making money um, because people will, you know, there is that reciprocity uh, that kind of comes into play here. As an individual, if I'm doing that well, I will have people following me. And I, you know, and I mean this in the context of a leader because that kind of energy is contagious. And in, this, in, the, in the world of COVID, I want to be, be the right kind of contagion. I, yeah. <laughs> well <said. laughs> 
<laughs> the right kind of viral, right? <laughs> I want to be the, yeah, there's a virus about wanting for, just as there is a virus for wanting from. And being able to leverage one or the other is my choice. And I'm going to full circle back to mindfulness. Energy will follow attention. So what are you practicing on a daily basis? This is kind of a rhetorical question for the listener, but this is also a specific question for you. Uh, you and I both have got uh, models that we work with, uh, 52 weekly practices, uh, so to speak. Um, what, and, and, I, and I hesitate to even use this word, um, but part of the routine in my life is organized around developing a practiced way of being in the world, not doing in the world, but being in the world. How do you go about setting up your routine? Because I'm, I'm making a very strong assumption that you have one just based on the short time that I've gotten to know you here. It's a safe bet. Yeah, it's, I, I was struck in my first conversation with Marshall Goldsmith, he talked about how he had all of his clients had to engage in, a, in mindfulness practice twice a day, every day while they worked with him for that year. And I was mostly struck by it because within a year after working with him, only 10% still maintained it. Boggled my mind, like why they didn't yep. keep going. Um, and when he talked about why that really struck me, it was very early in my coaching when I had that conversation with him. And so I build mindfulness time into my practice on a daily basis. Um, I'm working with Shirzad Chamin as well on some of the positive intelligence work. So I'm doing those positive intelligence, the PQ reps during the day as a, an active version of mindfulness. And I'm also leaving space for my brain to be bored. No screen, no sound, no stimulation. Just time for my brain to wander. And that, it's different than meditation because even meditation, the TM practice that I do, that's about clearing everything, which is you're attending to something. There's an intention, even in the emptiness. Mm -hmm. No, this is letting your brain wander. Our children don't get bored. They don't know how to get bored. They don't have time to get bored. And frankly, neither do the adults. Yeah. And so giving my brain space to wander is where it has time for creativity and things to surface and connections to be made that I can't when I'm doing everything else. You know, that kind of full circle, you know, rather than being still, I filled my time with activity, usually mindless activity, not mindful activity. And that's, Real telling. Now, Ryan Holiday wrote a book that I absolutely, it's one of the favorite books I've read this year called Stillness. Mm. And uh, it, I mean, it's a fascinating exploration of what it means to be still. And yeah, for those of you that are listening, I would hardly recommend picking that up. Uh, it, it's steeped in Stoic philosophy, which, yeah, I, 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 I'm an avid student of Stoicism. So it's uh, really worth. <laughs> worth me endorsing it. Uh, Ryan Holiday, you know, the book is Stillness. Um, I think chapter 51 in my book is Memento Mori. So it's definitely- Memento Mori, yeah. Follow the Stoics as well. <laughs> yep, there's uh, actually, I mean, I, I carry a coin with me. You do. Yeah, that actually is inscribed with Memento Mori on it. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember, I shall, I, I shall soon leave. Yes. And there, don't get out of here alive. <laughs> There's a piece I had made for my wife, a, a necklace I had made for my wife that says, Gamze Ya Avor. Mm. 
it's it's Hebrew phrase back phrase back from Solomon's time, and it says, "This too shall pass." Much like memento mori, this is the opportunity to remember that whatever's happening, we're eight months into COVID. This too shall pass. You can endure, but it's also whatever marvelous and wondrous is happening in your world, savor it for this too shall pass. So it's yeah. the similar two-sided coin idea. Both sides, both sides, yeah. The Antonine plague that uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, weathered for 15 years mm -hmm. uh, killed you know, 20 million people, uh, round numbers. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this too shall pass. You know, this plague is not the first time we've experienced this as a species. Uh, the qualitative experience that I have while I'm in this is my choice. Absolutely. I don't have choice about the existence of the virus. I do have a choice about how I'm approaching being with the virus. You know, what's my relationship with it? You know, my wife and I right now, are, we're actually having a ball. We really are. Uh, so, you know, that connection again, you know, it's been a time to connect, you know, the stillness, um, you know, just being willing to be still to be still uh, has opened up all kinds of creativity options uh, for me that weren't there before. So I want to thank you for marking that out. Yeah, my pleasure. And, and it is, it's, you know, how you react to something, how you hold it is the only thing over which you have control. Um, my wife and I just realized we both released books on September 2nd. So um, <laughs> Good. part crazy, part fun. And we realized as we watched this, you know, with kids coming back home and having kids in the house for several months, we were empty nesters for a minute and a half. <laughs> um, enjoyed that time, got to savor it. Both of us going through the book process, which you know you've just done again, that was a very rich and enjoyable process in the midst of all of this craziness. And I just got back from California after officiating our eldest child's wedding. Uh -huh. So, you know, we have during this whole pandemic period, have put our attention on things that feed us and nurture us. Mm -hmm. And yes, have impact and serve and feed others as well. And we got, we've had a very different experience. Yes, there's been stuff that has not been ideal. Yeah, yeah. And we're choosing how to hold this time and how to immerse in this time. Beautiful. My guest today, David Taylor Klaus. David, I want to thank you. I mean, fascinating conversation. I could go on with this for a long time. I truly could. <laughs> and, you know, I, that being said, uh, after I sign off here, I want to <laughs> just, you know, have a little conversation post-show post here real quick. My so, Good. Um, you've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. David, where can folks uh, find out more about you, about uh, what you're up to? Beautiful. Thank you. Um, you can find out more about me and my broader work at dtkcoaching.com. It's DTK as in David Taylor Klaus, dtkcoaching.com. And also at mindsetmondayswithdtk.com. You'll find all the information on the book and the rewire framework and how to download it and enjoy it. Excellent. Again, my uh, guest today, David Taylor Klaus. It's been a joy Truly, been a joy having a conversation with you. Uh, you've been listening to Blaine Bartlett, uh, your host on The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. <clears throat> and you can find out more about what I'm up to by going to blainebartlett.com. And um, we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.